Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 77. What exactly does Reed do? I'm broadcasting live, well, live for me from the Power of Change Worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode, and uh, the reason why I'm posting it is mainly because my wife thought it was a good idea, and whenever that happens in my life, I usually try to follow through because I've married a wise woman. This past week, I was uh, invited on to uh, something called a fr- uh, free-for-all Friday from f- some friends in New Jersey at a church called Emergence Church. And these guys, Ryan uh, Batesel and Steve Hawthorne, good friends of mine, have been for years, kind of interviewed me, I suppose. And I let my wife watch the video afterwards, and she was like, you know, that that really explains well a little bit who you are and what you do. And so... The funny thing is, over the last several years, um, I've been asked this question, Reed, what is exactly you're doing these days? And there's a short answer to that. There's a long answer to that. But the short answer is I help strength, support and strengthen church, local churches. Uh, I share the gospel with students, so young people, high school, college. And then I also help others thoughtfully engage with the gospel of Jesus Christ in our current cultural moment. So, well, the long answer well, I'm going to give you over to my friends uh, Ryan and Steve as they interviewed me related to the question, what do I do, what have I been doing, what am I up to today? So hope you enjoy that, and I'll turn it over to Steve. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Steve. Great to be with you. Friday. Yeah, happy Friday morning. Um, I don't know if this goes out on Friday morning, so... It goes out in the afternoon, but that's close. Nice. Happy Friday. I don't even know what morning is anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're all in the same boat on that one. It's definitely later than it used to be. That much. (laughs) Yeah. Have you guys been uh, a little later? My kids are on like a college schedule. They go to bed at like 1.30. They wake up at like 10. Uh, I think we feed them like burritos. At <laughs> we're still on like a, a good healthy eating schedule because Rochelle's a really good cook and she's just good, good like that. But time sh- the times have shifted. That's all. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Well, we've also shifted Free For All Friday a little bit. And so last week we had uh, our, our first guest and uh, we've got another guest this week and really excited to bring on uh, Reed Monahan. And uh, we have uh, worked with Reed in New Jersey um, in years past and he's no longer here, but he can tell you his story uh, a little bit. And so uh, you want to bring him in, Ryan? Sure. That'd be awesome. It'd be great to see you, Reed. We will do that. Let's bring Reed in. And here he is. There's the man. Nice. Reed is one of the many pastors in the world that could beat us both up at the same time (laughs) and and do it in in good technical fashion. You think there's many in good technical fashion? There's, (laughs) yeah, probably. Unfortunately, yes. I I don't think there are many. (laughs) But I'll claim that title. (laughs) Nice to have like a, a pastoral bracket. (laughs) <laughs> put in and and let's see what it comes to. i think the finals will probably be you and like leon's crump read right yeah, and, and leon's now. leon's uh trash talks me sometimes on text messages as recent as two weeks ago nice, where he nice. was convinced he would double leg me and i'm five seven he's like six <laughs> something and i don't think he can get underneath me 
What did you? What was your wrestling weight in college? Oh well, I weighed about one hundred and seventy five, hundred eighty pounds every summer, and I wrestled either one hundred fifty pounds or one hundred forty two pounds in college. <laughs> but this was back when they had really, really messed up weight cutting rules yeah, uh, dude, that were in like a rubber suit in a uh, fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you throw him in a fire till he shrinks by 10 pounds in an hour and a half and then put him on a scale so he only weighs that. Yeah, so uh, now I just lift and work out with high school kids, and uh, that's a lot more fun. What, what was Leon's? Uh, he was a heavyweight. He was actually a heavyweight. He's a massive wow. man. And so, um, yeah, he, he's trouble. People used to ask me years ago, could you, could you take this pastor? He, I was like, that dude was a baseball player. I would crush him. Um, or, or, or can you take Darren Patrick? He's big. I was like, well, Darren played football. I will stick my head in his chest and put him on the ground. Um, Kevin Cauley. Do you guys know Kevin Cauley out in Redeemer, Kansas City? He actually wrestles me when I show up to events he's at. And it's, uh, it's a mess. In fact, he's got a picture where I, I took him and put him on his back in the middle of Frontline Church, Oklahoma City. But when I double-legged him, my eye hit the rivet in his jean, and it really moused up, man. And so he took a picture. And so I don't ever hear from Kevin Cauley except for every six months or so I get a picture of my face. <laughs> he goes, don't ever forget, that kind of stuff. Kevin wrestled in college? He wrestled in high school and played college okay. football, so he knows what he's doing, actually. Um, he get, he doesn't have enough game, but he's got he's got a pretty good game. It's not a collegiate game. No, I was no. in a learning group with him a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, he's he's fantastic. He's a great guy, man. Leon's well, was a, was a national finalist in Division One, so he's 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 trouble. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with him. Who was that? Leon's. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a big boy. He, didn't he play in the NFL too? Yeah, but he was a college wrestler, you know, that, that was dabbling in the football. And a lot of those guys get looks um, in the NFL because they're they're just fantastic leverage athletes, strong, you know, can play on the line. So I think he got in the camp with the Saints with the D-line D stuff, yeah. Yeah, he was probably, what, a defensive end or something? He's built like a – Yeah, he get great hands balance. I mean, those guys just, – you know. Just to say something no one will have any knowledge of, <laughs> I, I often hope the Giants would pick up Adam Kuntz and give him a shot on yeah. their offense. Line. Yeah, He's yeah, a massive man. Like, yeah, all the wrestling people are like, I love this. Yeah, <laughs> he like he's like spooky smart guy. University of Michigan. He's our Greco world team member as well as a multiple time All American. And he's too big to go to Mars, and that's kind of what he's into. So he's like wants to build Habs for NASA for Mars or something. Maybe he get picked up in the NFL. Really unique human being. Wow. <laughs> That's why. Well, yeah. well uh, Reed, you're a unique human being as well. <laughs> I, I like segues. What can I say? Um, so, uh, Reed, we're, we're glad to have you, man. Really good to see you. Um, you know, we miss you in Jersey. We're going to hear a little bit more about, uh, you know, how uh, how your journey has gone. Yeah. Um, but would love to uh, to just give people a, a little bit of an idea of your background. So uh, in the five-minute version, yeah. uh, could you kind of share just how you came to faith and how you got into ministry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually grew up in Virginia Beach, which is kind of a weird place. It's a, a Navy tourist town, you know, so where we get Canadians and upstate New Yorkers. We see them sunburn every summer. And then my dad was going out on, like, aircraft carriers and things. And so – my dad's an ex-Irish Catholic atheist. He's probably agnostic now. He's more kind of, you know, waffling on hardcore stuff. But he's uh, he didn't believe in anything but but ourselves. Hey, you better be smart. You better uh, be tough. So I was kind of raised that way. And um, 
really got into wrestling late uh, in my life in terms of career. Most of the guys that wrestled in Division One started when they're like three and a half years old or in their mother's womb or something. I started in seventh grade, didn't even start on a team till eighth grade. So I had to make up a lot of ground. So I was really into sports and academics in, in high school, quarterbacked our football team even though I was short. And then I ended up doing very well in wrestling. Uh, I was honorable mention All-American coming out of high school, won a couple state titles, um, and got a scholarship to UNC Chapel Hill, uh, which is, most people know, is one of the, the best athletic programs in any all sports in the country. So very humbling time, and I didn't know why I was going down there. So I went down there, was studying physics, uh, and on the wrestling team. And our wrestling buddies were not studying physics, and they were you know going out Thursday night, some breaking commandments, and uh, wild dudes, man. It was fun. A lot of Jersey guys, actually. Uh, one of my best friends on my team was from Jersey. Uh, he went to Blair Academy down there, I think South Jersey, uh, and just fantastic guys. So during that time, you know, my sophomore year, um, a guy had just asked me where God fit in my life. He was a campus minister with Athletes in Action. And uh, I said, man, I don't believe in God. I don't even know. Now, at the time, I was reading this book by a physicist, um, a book by a guy named Paul Davies called The Mind of God, kind of this pantheistic, oh, God is the equations or something kind of guy. And so, but I was thinking about what what is real, what is out there. And so this guy walked into my life at a s- similar time. And shared with me some of the most basic kind of gospel things that God loved me, uh, that, that I had sin. I was like, man, what are you talking about? But I knew it, you know, and then um, just led me to Jesus. It wasn't an intellectual thing for me at that point. I had a lot of questions afterwards, but God grabbed a hold of me, made me alive, and put me on a trajectory. And so at that point, um, we started seeing many guys on our wrestling team convert, as well as recruits that were coming in uh, that were strong believers, like solid men. And so we had one real Christian before I converted on our wrestling team. And then by the time I graduated, half our team was like serious, man. Um, In fact, the coach was like, I'm going to put you all down there so you can have your revival meeting and stuff uh, on road trips, right? And um and from there, I met my wife, Casey. She was uh, playing for UNC with Mia Hamm and that whole crew. She's got two national championship rings. Um, I fell Girls in love with yeah, it. Yeah, women's soccer. They, they I think Sorry. they won like 15 national titles in a row, something stupid like that. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, man, I fell in love instantly. I, I had more work to do on her end because she wasn't convinced right away. Um, <laughs> but uh, sealed that deal later. And so that's kind of how I came to faith. And then – uh, we stayed in the sports world for, for eight years with Athletes in Action on staff there. Um, we, we served a year and a half at the University of Kentucky, which for a UNC guy was like purgatory. Um, they, loved, <laughs> they worshiped basketball more than our school did and had no wrestling team. I was like, why am I at this place? And then we, and then we went to Virginia Tech and were there for six years. Um, my wife and I had a wonderful run serving and working together. And it was during that time I was also a regional director for that ministry for the Ivy League and the North Atlantic. So, um, all the way up, you know, so we had a guy at Harvard, Yale, that kind of thing, Princeton. And in 2003, I helped one of my friends open up Athletes in Action at Rutgers University. I was a regional guy. He was coming back from Kazakhstan as a, as a missionary to sports world over there. And that was my first connection kind of with ministry, at least. And I knew Jersey guys from wrestling because Jersey's really good at wrestling. Ryan can tell you about that. Um, but Jersey's it, really good at wrestling. Is your son still going at it? Is he still in the oh, game? Oh, yeah. He's still wrestling. Oh. He's still wrestling. I mean, everything's canceled. Yeah. So. yeah. He's not wrestling. Uh, he's, yeah. No, he's not wrestling right now. Uh, but, he's wrestling dad right now. <laughs> what's that? He's wrestling dad right now. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's this awkward because um, I know Tommy wrestles too. Yeah, we're in this awkward season where he's 
almost big enough, and yet every once in a while, all my weight will wrongly yeah. be on him, and I'll almost break his leg. Yeah, you don't want to break his femur. <laughs> yeah, like he'll like it'll tie me up in some weird leg thing, and yeah. I never wrestled, so right. I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, I just like try to roll out, <laughs> like nearly like, snap his leg. He, he's he's uh, he's inevitably getting some of the great best coaching in the country. New Jersey youth wrestling is legendary across the you know guys from high school get really good opportunities, Division One, and so. Um, I had, I had been around Jersey wrestlers, but opening up Rutgers with my friend, I was like, wow, there's a river here and there's actually some trees, you know, cause like my wife and I had joked, my wife and I were running a, a summer project in Eastern Europe in the Czech Republic, taking Ivy League athletes and training them in Christian thought and witnessing the atheists. It was just wild. And my wife was like, yeah, I'd rather, she grew up on a farm in North Carolina. She's like, I'd rather live in Eastern Europe than like in the Northeast. She just totally didn't know what she was saying, but that was her perspective. Right. And so I remember first time seeing Rutgers like this is sweet man I like this up here and so then that came around back to our story uh four years later when we were praying and wrestling through some some church planting decisions yeah yeah um and you know I want to hear a little bit about you know how you got up here but um you know when um yeah why don't you want you to share how did you make your way up up to to Jersey yeah, that's like 10 year arc of ministry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I transitioned from campus ministry, which I still love. I do do some of that now, actually. Um, and I never thought I'd leave athletes in action. It's kind of my spiritual birthplace. I had so many friends and connections the way I saw the world. Start reading the Bible more and you start seeing the church just massive in the mission of God and the plan of God for the ages. And you're like, wow, we, we should be more engaged with this church. And my question was, could the church be as wildly evangelistic? but yet be the church who cares for the sheep and, you know, holistically. And so that was a big question I was asking. And so I got actually called by one of these, um, you know, these Christian headhunting kind of things uh, who connected me with a friend of a friend who was hiring a kind of college young adult pastor in Nashville Metro. And I got recruited in, and that's a funny long story. Guy showed me the Sea Biscuit movie where the old guy pulls his horse next to the young guy and said, "Hey, I want to see you go." And I'm crying because you know I have really have a dad relationship, and and like, yeah, I'm coming. So I go to this mega church in like like the Bibleiest Bible Belt area of the world, which I man, <laughs> look, man, I grew up skepticism, and like I. I passed 13 good churches from my home to my office. Not not like like buildings, but like ones, oh, yeah, you could, you could go there. It's like a good place. Um, and so I was just a misfit for four years there and just going, what am I doing? And I ran across some guys that I knew who were planting these churches with theological vision, but yet really loved people that were far from God. Uh, and not just like, oh, yeah, he got baptized when he was eight and got rebaptized three times when he was 28, um, but people that just had nothing to do with the church, and they were really going for that um, with people and loving lost people, man. And that's kind of my heartbeat. And so I was like, man, I got to plant churches like that. And the question became, where, where, where are we going to do that? And at the time, I had a friend named Garrett Kell. Garrett is kind of become a little bit Christian famous as of late. Um, but Garrett and I were looking to plant together. I was kind of mentoring him in some relationships. He was engaged and he was like, Hey man, I'd love to learn how to be a husband and a dad from you. And so we were going to plant together. That didn't work out for some things in his life. You just Google Garrett Kell gospel coalition. He'll tell that he'll tell his own story. He, he mentions you in that story. Yeah, he does. I mean, I'm on the download. He's kind of, I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm the gospel underground. Garrett's in the gospel overground. Um, but he's a wonderful friend. I love him dearly. Um, so he couldn't go. In fact, we were in New Brunswick, New Jersey when, when we realized he couldn't go, go and do this. Um, but he and I started asking the question, where, 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 do, where should we go? 
And so I didn't want to go to a place where I passed 13 great churches on the way. And so if you look at demographics in the U.S., the Pacific Northwest, the greater Northeastern U.S., in terms of like Bible believing Jesus is alive, risen from the dead stuff, it's just lower in those population areas. And so I loved, you know, witnessing the atheists in, in the Czech Republic. I love cross-religious dialogue that's both thoughtful, respectful, kind, but clear. And uh, I said, hey, man, what about my friend? My friend's doing Rutgers Athletes in Action back 2003. This was 2007. We were making this decision. What, what about Jersey? He goes, whoa, I never really thought of that. But he, was, he, he had an instant kind of desire for the Northeast as well. So we, we began to research it. We had to take a vision trip because my wife was nervous, right? Um, she actually rode the train from Newark to New Brunswick by her own fiat decision. Like I'm going to ride the tram to the whole thing. And my wife was the most successful at, at witnessing the people in New Jersey of anybody in Jacobs. Well, she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Always show up with people to holiday, you know, Christmas Eve, Easter uh, with, with people from other religions and just fantastic. But she was nervous. So she had to check it out and she got off the train and said, Hey, look, here's the deal. I want to have a great time with you this weekend. You know, we got a hotel room, you know, married and stuff, no kids. She goes, I want, I want this to be a great weekend. But if I have a great time here, don't assume that that means I want to move. <laughs> and, then, and then this is the crazy thing. We were laying up in bed, and you guys have had these marriage conversations, where she wasn't doubting me, but she was just not sure about something. She goes, okay, we move here, then what? What do we do? Because we knew one guy in the whole state of New Jersey at the time, you know, and so I was like, well, everything we ever did was a startup. She goes, yeah, but we went into an athletic department, or we started a ministry at this large church. Um, what are we going to do? Just roll in in the Utah, New Jersey, U-Haul in New Jersey. And I was like, I don't know. We just have to trust Jesus, you know? And that was kind of, you know, I tell your wife that it's uh, sometimes a good move, sometimes not a good move. You know. Um, so the next day we go out to get pizza, you know, I forget the name of the place, one of the little local joints with, you know, the best pizza in the world. Um, <laughs> In downtown New Brunswick, and we're sitting there, and, like, there's this couple, and they got a kid, and the kid is, like, being a kid, right? Screaming and throwing their sippy cup in the high chair. And these older ladies were just kind of giving them the stink eye, like, looking at her, like, what are these people doing with a child? And uh, they kept apologizing. So when we leave, this couple, they speak to us. And, guys, you, you guys get this. The lady was not from New Jersey. And like, I don't mean like she was from like South Korea or something. She was like, she sounded like she was on like, I don't know, Duck Dynasty or something. She's like, what y'all doing here? And I was like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and, and then the guy said, he still, he sounded like Rocky Balboa. I mean, he like literally, and I think he was from Philly, but they're like, hey, we're going to get you some drinks and we, you know, what are y'all doing? And I was like, okay, what is going on in this conversation? So we said, well, we're, she goes, what are you guys doing here? I was like, well, we're up here thinking about, I was like, okay, well, we got to say it now. I was like, well, we're thinking about starting a church, right? In middle of New Brunswick. And she goes, what religion? Now my wife grew up in the South. I kind of, you know, Virginia Beach, it was, you know, Navy tours. My dad's an atheist guy, but she goes, she, she assumes that question means Methodist, Episcopalian, Roman Catholic, you know, what religion, right? I'm thinking like Hindu, Buddhism, you know, whatever, Scientology, <laughs> what religion? So I was like, well, how do I explain that? I was like, well, we're currently at this place called Fellowship Bible Church. And she turns flush and the guy goes, hey, we were members of Fellowship Bible Church in Northwest Arkansas. I'm from here. My wife's not. I was like, obviously. Um, when are you guys coming? <laughs> Now, these guys moved before we ever got there. So we were like, oh, yeah, core team member. No, it didn't happen that way. But we left that place, and I looked at my wife. I was like, I guess we just get pizza. 
And we started church. And my wife was like, clear from God. Yeah, this is what we were supposed to do. And so then we had a lot of, you know, research, raising money, try to get a team together uh, to, to make the transition to central New Jersey that we did in 2008. Yeah, I mean, you you did something that uh, is just absolutely wild, you know, kind of parachuting into New Jersey, uh, you know, starting a church from scratch, knowing no one, uh, and what a crazy thing God did. Um, so native, right, not being native to New Jersey, dropping in, um, Rutgers University, right, is like some of the target, it's, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and yeah. So, People like to say, like, we had Princeton students and Rutgers students in mass in our church, and people are like, hey, and Princeton students must be hard. I was like, no, 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 no. There's way more like believers at Princeton than Rutgers, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, that was part of the vision for sure, to reach young people uh, for the future of movement kind of in, in North America. Yeah, and uh, well, I mean, what, what God did through uh, that, that call that he placed in you guys and you know your wife, um, you know, to say, Hey, this is, this is confirmed is huge. Um, so through that, uh, you know, and, and if you've been around emergency, you probably heard, uh, at various times, I mean, Reed's been around, uh, emergence as well and, and shared, but, um, you know, through that work, uh, God began a church called Jacob's well and, and, uh, Jacob's well is, uh, is a thriving, uh, awesome community that, that Jesus is the center of today. Yeah. And uh, now that's all still going on. Yeah, they're doing well. We just had a 10 year celebration with them in February. Just, uh, delightful. And several hundred people, people from different places of the Jacob's well diaspora all around the world came back who had been involved in various points of the narrative. And we're just proud of them. And just to see how they're flourishing in the hand of God has been been an encouragement to us for sure. It's awesome. Reed, you're no longer in Jersey though. So. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Well, real quick, Reed. So when you transitioned to, to take the next step and you placed Scott in as the lead pastor of Jacob's Well, did, did Scott come to faith at Jacob's Well? No, Scott actually moved to the area the exact same time we did. He's, he's from um, Long Island originally. Um, and then went to Cornell undergrad, so he's smarter than us. Um, Princeton grad school, right? Yeah, you know, he went to Gordon Conwell um, for for graduate school, and then was transitioning to a, a campus work, a campus ministry in Princeton. Literally oh. moved the same time we did, and there was a young couple who was in Nashville with us. I did their wedding, helped the guy walk out of some really hard stuff, and um, he he was a Princeton um, graduate. And his brother was still there. And so we had this connection and met Scott pretty early. And he was in, in the core group second week, I think. Yeah. And just was our always like the, I was the primary preacher teacher, but Scott was always in the rotation. We had a very flat, uh, we had a lot of guys preach. Um, I, you know, this is debated. You guys know amongst church folks of whether or not you should, you know, is a church a teaching hospital or is it just like put the really good guys up? Um, it's both, but, um, Scott was really good teacher from the beginning, loved by our church. The transition was made smoother because of his presence all along. Um, and he's very different than me. And that was kind of a conviction I had is that Jacob's well needed a pastor teacher, and I'm more kind of apostolic, evangelistic kind of guy. I want to go run and get in trouble. And um, I think they really needed someone to care for the sheep well. Um, and so that made the transition even even easier. So, yeah, but I'm not in Jersey. Um, it's weird. New Jersey is a, a massively transient place. I don't have to tell you guys this, right? You guys are natives long term, but you see people, they come and go from all over the world, really. And um, 
people have assumed, right, like that I was happy to leave New Jersey. And this was kind of like one of the assumptions that we didn't even know how to address when we were leaving our church because I literally about died inside, particularly for about a year and 18 months afterwards, just being so sad because I love New Jersey people. I love New Jersey culture. I fit in easy. Um, it's a it's a pocketed culture that's very close but seems cold but isn't. Um, I got that early, and I love it, man, and I miss it every day. Um, people are like, oh, you want to go get those cheaper property taxes? I'm like, no, this was just we were convinced that I felt like a rat in a maze and everything said that I, it was time for me to transition Jacob's well. Um, and my wife was so hands off in that decision. A lot of people in our church were like, well, Casey wants to leave. And she never once asked to leave. In fact, when we were wrestling with the decision, I had to say, Hey, are you okay? If we like move some, you know, South, uh, close to your parents, she goes, Oh, I'd love that. But I would never say that. Cause I don't want to unduly influence you. And I was like, man, if I can't do this to make, you um, in some way flourish more, be, be better. Um, it, it, it'll be really hard for me. So Casey's mom and dad are Christian people. Um, when I got married, I got a dad, which is shockingly beautiful for me. Cause like, I just, it's unbelievable. My father-in-law, how good he is to me. And they're about two hours from where we are now. And so when we transitioned, there were certain things that I felt like I needed to do uh, in the kingdom um, that are eclectic and weird. We may get into that. Um, but the question of where, um, one of our elders and who's on my board now of my ministry, uh, Manoj Thomas, his family's all in New Jersey, generations, right? Grandmas and all that stuff. And we had never been near uh, Casey's family with our kids growing up uh, for 20, over 20 years. And so we, we, we felt like giving a family proximity where they could come to Friday night soccer games before, you know, people are too old or, or kids are too old and grandparents are too old was a really good move. And, um, and that was kind of some of the considerations of where we moved back to Blacksburg, Virginia, founded a ministry called Power of Change. And Blacksburg was where we were in campus ministry. I was a wrestling coach. My wife coached soccer here. Um, she still had kind of moms she had babies with in the community and that in two hours from her parents. That's close for us. Um, and that's kind of where where we're located now. Yeah, and I mean, you're a, <clears throat> a unique, uh, uniquely gifted guy in a lot of ways and unique experience. Um, but what you're doing now <clears throat> kind of flows from a lot of those passions. What, what, what is it that power of change does? Yeah. Now, really? I'm yeah. Doing? yeah. It, power of change really became a wrapper to put around some of my, my passions. I interviewed older mentors, um, about, Hey, here are the things that I'm, that I care a lot about. And a lot of it came back to men, uh, the next generation, young people, dads, apologetics, um, and helping the church engage well in kind of post-Christendom uh, North American culture. So those things don't go together easily all the time. Like, hey, start a family ministry, start a thing for youth evangelist, or start a Ravi Zacharias thing. And so Power of Change is a wrapper around the things that I care about and things that I feel like I do adequately. Sometimes I feel like I'm terrible at all of them because I don't specialize enough. Um, but that power of change has a mission to impact and influence the coming generation in post-Christian West. That's kind of our mission. Now, what we do got more and more defined over the last four years. And so now I can say it easily. We support and strengthen local churches. And I do that several different ways. Uh, I share the gospel with young people. So I'll do youth evangelist. I speak, I speak at university campuses still, and then we help, thoughtfully engage the culture. And we do that through some Christian thought apologetic stuff and you know, through our podcast and things like that. So in the first lane, support and strengthen. Yeah. Our, our podcast is called the gospel underground. Um, 
and that comes from a conviction that uh, Christian ministry is best done from underneath. Um, in other words, service, um, choosing to be unknown, uh, choosing the lower seat on purpose, uh, coming alongside others. Like I, I love coming alongside pastors, churches, campus ministers, and making them better uh, and making their ministry flourish. Um, it's a hard thing to market or promote, um, uh, but that's kind of uh, the way we kind of focus. And the Gospel Underground is an outflow of that. I mean, I'm even praying about rebranding our whole ministry, the Gospel Underground. Um, I can get you guys' opinion when we hang up on that. But yeah, so support and strengthen churches. I'll do a lot of training and equipping at local churches. So I'll, I do men's retreats. I do things for dads. Um, and I coach and train church planters. That's a, a part of my story that I love. I, I've never pulled out from that. I serve one of the Acts 29 networks as a director of assessments, um, and I'm involved with that movement around the world. So that's a first lane. Second lane is like I've done youth apologetics conferences. Um, I've done some high school events. I did middle school speaking events, which I didn't think would be effective, and it went well. Um, and so that's the second lane. And the third lane is like I really do. Ravi Zacharias and Christian philosophers and thinkers thinking through integration. How do we speak here now? I want to both do that well and then help churches do that well. So, yeah, and you, you mentioned Acts 29, and that's, um, <clears throat> you know, for, for those that, that don't know, where our paths started to overlap and cross uh, when you came to Jersey and yeah. started a church here and also had a passion for, uh, for seeing new churches be born. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's something that you've always been about is, is developing new leaders, uh, supporting new churches and church plants. Um, and so when we first met you, um, <clears throat> back in the day, I guess this was, you know, 2000, what, what do you think it was, Reed? I think I met Ryan maybe 2008. Um, and then we started overlapping a lot at regional events about church planting, but Ryan reached out to me. I, I'll just assume that it was because he wanted to be my friend. Um, and, uh, really early on and we met at Chipotle, I think at Bridgewater Commons, kind of halfway between uh, where we were and where you guys are. Um, and just, just befriended me. And then, uh, you guys were coming as a young adult thing and becoming its own church and all that. And so we walked together that I, I really had a, a calling to help, uh, more than one, our church that we were planting. And so we, we did those things in parallel. Sometimes I like, well, we could have grown faster, bigger, better if I just focused on the one thing, but we, we were helping a church planning network in New Jersey kind of get going. And so, uh, you guys and us were a big part of that, and uh, that grew for I think to about eleven or so. I know there's some have come in and out since then, um, but that was a privilege to coach those guys. And I'm still friends with them, and I serve those churches now. I've been to New Jersey multiple times in the last four years. Been with you guys on Sunday morning or or in the video thing. At least you guys know how to do that already. You, like some of my pastor friends, like I got to preach to a camera. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that was kind of a, a dual calling. And then I was on a Northeastern leadership team for years um, with the network as well. Reed, as you kind of, as you kind of travel around, you know, you, you get to kind of see a, a good sweep of, of how God's at work. Um, what's, what's encouraging to you right now as you look at kind of the, the Christian world, as you get to travel? And, uh, and, and where do you think, man, the, the church is, it's, it's still got a, a long way in, in these issues. You know, there's, um, there's this phenomenon, Ryan, where you, we work in certain circles and you guys lead it, lead a, a sizable movement. And so I know you've, I think you've changed your mission. So I don't want to quote the old one about plowing or something, but, um, there's we, a, we haven't changed our mission. Oh, you're still plowing counterculture. Okay, good. Not, 
not all churches are plowing countercultures, right? And so what I kind of had as deep convictions, which became assumptions within the groups that we're kind of hanging with of robust vision of the Bible and who Jesus is, the theological vision incarnated into contextual on the ground missiology in a counter creating counterculture. Um, that has not taken root quite as much as I would have hoped uh, in North America. There are still some places you walk in like, wow, I'm in the 70s or 80s, but not the 70s and 80s that were like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and stuff. It's like the places that aren't touching the world or in a way. So that's that play between worldliness, which is ungodly, right? Hey, becoming like the world. A lot of churches chasing relevance get into that pot. pot. Uh, but at uh, the other time, if you don't overlap with people and culture, uh, connecting and communicating becomes very hard. Um, yeah. What's tough, Reed, is those guys publish so many books. That, I know. <laughs> you know, a lot of young guys um, will get really excited about it. But yeah. It, you know, that model of church, there's none thriving in right. New Jersey right. trying to be like an, an old outpost that yeah. that really doesn't exist anymore. Well, how does that happen for you as you think about that? How does that happen when you have you know, people with such robust theology yeah. and who have thought through their theological stance, you know, super well and have, you know, dived into it super deep and can explain it and, and and really, it's at the heart of who they are, and yet yeah. so removed from being a practitioner of a missionary. Yeah, the- there, there's a huge problem that I think everyone will experience. It's a, it's unavoidable, and and I mean that from the most uh, churches you might respect the most. There is a constituency um, missiology tension that will always exist. Hey, I got to take care of this and these people and what they want. Or, like this America, right, man, free market religion. Or they're going down to church awesome down the street with a fog machine. They're going to leave us, right? And so people get trapped, and they focus on, hey, I don't want to lose what we have. This is good. We we should care about these people, which is absolutely calling in the Bible. Shepherding these, you know, be, being under shepherds, um, not compulsion, willingly, not for gain, to, to care for people, teach and instruct, disciple. But at the same time, uh, that missionary call, the sending of God's church and people into the world disrupts that. And so that I think isn't, I think we, we paint these realities in the wrong light on both sides of it. Either we feel threatened by the young guy who wants to go out and change the world, or, um, or we think that these are the old fogies that need to be left behind. This is a terrible thing because God puts these things in tension, uh, the, this traditional move or the innovative move. And so I think you have to take the whole thing forward into the world through the Great Commission. God sent his people into context and culture for the sake of the mission of the gospel. And, you know, people get beat up in that. People have hard marriages. People have very difficult. They have, they have to learn to raise their kids. And the church is really, really helpful in that, that community of love and teaching that's necessary. And so I think there's always that tension. Uh, we can't blow up either side of it. We have to move it as leaders. Um, and I think the wiring of pastors uh, really influences what people do with that tension. Um, for me, I'm like, blow it up. Like, let's go get people like me who are, who are watching Christian TV. You don't care who is got the blog or who's got a crossway book deal. Don't give a crap about that. Um, and so you got to find your place for me in the kingdom. Um, mine, mine's an, I, I think there's more influence that I can do from a shed, uh, and then being amongst people of the world, 
um, while remaining a Christian, right? I'm a robust, faithful Christian, love my wife, kids, all that. Um, then I can by being kind of like Pope of the evangelical world. Mm. Yeah. So Jersey was a nice, uh, a nice fit for you. I love Jersey. Yeah. I love, I, there's not too much I don't like about Jersey. Now, when, I, when I'm up in Jersey, I, I like the traffic where I live. I'm in a college town now in the mountains of Southwest Virginia. The taxes are lower. The traffic is less. But, man, the people in Jersey are fantastic. A little wild. I just fit like it's felt like a puzzle, right? Like, oh, this guy's giving me this. I give him that. Uh, and then you got all the beautiful international diversity, which our church was founded to be a transcultural community. Um, and that's just flourished there, too, which is I miss that, you know, because our church isn't, isn't like that today. It's been hard. My kids don't, you know, always when we were in New Jersey for the 10-year Jacob's Well anniversary and went there on Sunday, I preached there again. Um, that was hard for our family. We were, we were heartbroken for a week, man. Mm. Um, because we love it. We love it so much. It's where our kids grew up. Um, but my wife is doing well. The whole family thing has worked here. And, um, and I, I really travel. Well, I used to travel a lot now, you know, nobody's traveling. All my stuff is canceled. Uh, you know, the next year or so I'm, I'm rethinking through a lot of the paradigm I've been serving in. Wow. Do you talk about gospel underground? If you, if you could get 10 pastors in a room, uh, you know, or, or a hundred thousand pastors in a room and say, here's two or three things I wish pastors would go after or stop going after that, that would be really powerful. Yeah. I think, um, for me, a, a story probably will help that. I was in a, I've been doing seminary, <laughs> uh, for, for going on 20 years, not contiguous to continuously, but, but 2000, I took my first class. I'm, doing Hebrew right now, Lord willing, I will graduate with an MDiv and applied apologetics in, in May. And, and, you know, I'll just chime in that you are no academic slouch. <laughs> you, know, you asked Reed to write something, you're yeah. getting like a 10 page white paper. Yeah. You are, you are a white paper. <laughs> <laughs> I just put one on out on fear and anxiety. If you guys are interested, it's uh might be helpful to your folks. Um, thanks, Ryan. It's a, it's an interesting thing. I was in a, Introduction to pastoral ministry, maybe two, three years ago. Um, I took intro to pastoral ministry and introduction to preaching uh, like two or three years ago. Um, the Ooh. the teacher was a thirty something year old guy. I'm I'm going on forty eight, and um, wonderful wonderful guy, you know. And he got on this Christian celebrity soapbox. He just was ripping into Christian celebrityism, right? You know, like oh, this is my guy. I follow him. I read the books. I go to this this or that, whether it's T four G or Exponential, whatever, right? And so I was like, man, I'm feeling this. I like this. This is what he's cooking right here. And so he gets to the end of this thing, and and I was like, wow. I was like, so what are we gonna do about that? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, how about we just leave all that stuff and not be involved with it at all? He goes, what do you mean? I was like, don't go to those type of things, you know, go to things that are actually um, ministry stuff, you know. And and he looked at for a second and he said, yeah, but I met with Jesus at T4G in the balcony with like 10,000 people. And so I was like, well, praise the Lord. That's a way. It's I'm not against that way. It's a way, right? The exponential is a way. Um but if we want to take a, an approach that's not over-the-top power moves, be it politically or just through evangelical power, um, you have to intentionally not do certain things. Um, and I don't know. Some people are willing to do that. It, it, there's, a hard, uh, there's a hard edge to intentionally pursue obscurity. 
um, specifically as you're growing and becoming more influential. And I'm sure you guys have wrestled with that. Um, cause I would, you know, what you guys do is fantastic and your, your size of your, your movement is fantastic. Uh, but there's an edge where all of a sudden I could be the guy in the center of all the stuff. Um, I think there's gotta be a, a saying no to that. So, and I think if you care about people outside of the church, man, right now people think the church is just politically power hungry, interested in its own self. Even like some discussions I've been having with friends about when a church should go back to gathering in mass uh, in the community. Should it be first to do that or should it be late in doing that? I think there's a massive witness publicly that's at stake that shapes the environment of which we do evangelism and sharing the gospel. If we get that wrong, people, oh, they're just about getting their money back or they're just about getting their room back. It's about their big show again. Um, and so those kind of questions. Now, Ryan, to get back, the guiding philosophies, uh, I haven't written the Underground Manifesto, but it's been started men- men- mentally many times. Um, these are not shocking things. Thoughtful and respectful engagement. The way we speak about and engage with others. Like even next week, I'm doing a training for a church on how to think evangelistically during this time. Um, I got to be careful there because I have active non-Christian friendships that if they run across me talking about them in a the wrong way, not good, right? Uh, well, I'm trying to just make this. We're not targets. We want to be thoughtful, respectful people as we engage with the world. That's Colossians 4. Uh, choosing behind-the-scenes ministry on purpose. Uh, when those uh, Francis Schaeffer has a book. Um, I think it's called No Little People. Um, there's a chapter in there. The first chapter is called that, No Little People, and then No Small Places. There's another chapter. It's fantastic. Uh, we have to choose those places. Um, rooting and establishing deeply. Um, at the mega churches on staff within Nashville, uh, the, we had 1,100 children in the coolest, best children's wing you can ever imagine. I mean, you go in to learn the, about the Old Testament, you're literally digging in the Temple of Doom. I mean, they were, I mean, I'm not kidding. Multimedia, dig in the sand traps, learn about, you know, the Exodus kind of thing. Um, fantastic. But I asked our, our, our children's pastor, what do you, what are your baseline expectations that the Christian people bringing their children into this 1100 person thing on Sunday morning, what are the baseline expectations that they're getting at home from mom and dad? And he goes, ah, they're not getting anything spiritually from their parents. So I think if we're going to root and establish people in a pro-Christian world, you better get dads engaged in being pastoring their families, loving wives as servants, not being, you know, bossy, absent people, uh, and then valuing these baseline building blocks of civilization that God has given. Marriage, kids, moms and dads, loving each other, repenting of all the mess that we have in our marriages. So um, thoughtful, respectful engagements behind the scenes, rooting, establishing deeply, mentoring and coaching. Um, I think that's, uh, as guys get, get more influential, I think it's very valuable for them to put other people. And I know what you guys do with your developmental pathways and training people, um, having pastors that don't just become big stage presence, but presence in the lives of many younger people, uh, is men and women need that. And so I think mentoring coaching, um, and then this one's like, Hey man, make your, make your local church primary. And you would think, well, pastors, don't they do that? Well, sometimes, sometimes in their hearts, they're thinking about, wow, if I just, if my book, if I could get my book out there to the world, or if I could get a bigger church, or I get local churches in local contexts. You know, I run this little parachurch thing now, but it's still the conviction heartbeat of God that uh, through the local church multiplying like spiders on the ground throughout the world, that's the way things spread. And that's much more effective, I think, than just all the over-the-top stuff. And and look, guys, I'm saying this with 
Christian publishing, Christian conferences, all that. I think it's fantastic. I've benefited, you know, I've got a ridiculous amount of books in here. Um, but I think there's a tension in pastors uh, that they're trying to be someone for a Christian world rather than trying to be who God wants them to be in their world. And whether that's in northern New Jersey, um, in Virginia, in Italy, wherever that might be. Yeah, Steve and I uh, will talk sometimes about, you know, just going to our kids' sports stuff and talking to the dads there. Yes. And I'm like, dude, most of the pastors who people are learning from, if they sat by these wrestling dads, they would think they were the weirdest. Like, Insane people. <laughs> yeah, they would be like, why, why would anyone uh, think that's cool at yeah. 45 years old when I'm taking my kids to a wrestling thing? Yeah. Uh, it, it'd be like a joke. So I, I think what happens, right? You see, you see people get pushed up, but people are out of their context or only in their evangelical context and yeah. not going, oh, my community, what's it need? Yeah. What type of dad on my kids' sports programs do they need me to be when I'm there? Um, it, it's a, and they yeah. and they do know you're there. They know yeah. who you are, and they see. I, there's still a guy. I'm not going to share his name uh, that I ministered to on sidelines of soccer uh, fields, who still to this day has a robust relationship with me in social media because I was pastoring him on a sideline. Um, now I don't agree with all the choices he's making, but uh, I love that guy and I miss him. And uh, part of it. Yes, he has it. You know, he's done over the years. Um, we've got to do it, dude. That is some of the is some of the thing I love most about my kids playing sports is it's it's forced relationship in some ways. That's right. Uh, you get these guys over years, and so I, I said it a couple times on our free for all Friday. But as we're we're walking off the field uh, at what looked like our last lacrosse practice of the year. I'm talking to the guys about their work and how it's changing. And I'm saying, you know, it's weird as our church is probably going to be digital. And so I'm with these like six dad, like lacrosse dudes, you know? Yeah. And they're like, Oh man, I'd love to check that out. Yeah. And that totally surprised me. I yeah. was, cause I just threw it out. Cause you know, you just throw it in. You're like, now I might take a shot for them, but you got yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah. You never throw the line out. You're just like, to see these guys for a while. Anyway. <laughs> well, here's the, here's the weird thing about this season those guys are probably more comfortable with that right now than they yeah. would be walking into the big room, right? And well, that's so, the, that's yeah. what was so surprising. They were they were ready to go. They're like, oh, that'd be cool. I'll check that out. Yeah. yeah. And that's the weird paradox, I think, Reed, and that's the hard thing to navigate is, you know, people have a hard time. How do I make, you know, my relationship with Christ primary, my local church, you know, a primary means, of investing my life. Very important. Yeah. And yet, how do I feel good about, you know, investing hours and, you know, time that a lot of pastors would see as frivolous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as, as ridiculous, stupid, frivolous. These people are crazy. Yeah. But, but yet that's how, that's how pastors easily and anyone in ministry or a Christian. Yeah. It's so about their faith easily become isolationist. Yeah. Because there's this idea that this is frivolous when that it's yeah, ministry. Yeah, yeah. It's ministry. Well, that Steve, I think there's been a move that's uh, either uh, separated evangelism discipleship or uh, separated hey the importance of the local church, the importance of the mission as two separate things. 
Uh, look, the reality is not everybody is wired like like I am. And not everybody's wired like, you know, Suzanne in the children's wing, who's just loving these toddlers, right? Whoever, you know, random name. Um, we've got to embrace that whole picture. Um, the metaphor, I, I use this with a friend of mine named Jay Thomas. He's in Philadelphia. He's at Seven Mile Road, Philly. Our churches were in core group at the same time. We were seeing conversions in core group. They were not. So he was frustrated and asking me questions about that. I was like, hey, man, you're being faithful. You're doing the right things. Keep doing it. But here's the thing. When a baby is born, right? We know this, right? We know this. When a baby is born, like aunts and uncles get excited. Multiple peoples are showing up. We know mom has done all the work, real work. Dad's happy. The whole family rejoices together as each has done its part to build this thing forward to, to be able to welcome this new life. And I think the church has to see it that way. Like those who teach, those who show hospitality, those who make brownies, uh, not the wrong kind of brownies, but uh, those who hang out with the crazy guys who have Mohawk kids and they look like they're going to kill their kid if they don't win a wrestling match. Right. We we've got to have the the way that somebody who can relate to that guy that will create churches that he could actually come into the room with um, and not feel either just condemned or, or not welcomed either, you know, not, not, not to out and out, you know, Oh, we don't want you here. That happens. Golly, blow them up, Lord. Um, but that they kind of get this feeling that this isn't a place for me to be because I'm whatever reason. And I think that that hospitality move, that teaching move, because we have to teach well to maintain uh, the gospel, right? We're Bible guys, as well as the evangelistic move have to come together. And that's one of the reasons I do conferences on that stuff. I'll do a podcast with a church in Fort Worth next week on Wednesday about how do we do this well, because it's hard and that tension will always be there, but I think we just need to embrace it. And the evangelist in the church doesn't need to feel like he's got to go work for young life or something in order to be about what he's about, that there's a place for that voice in the church as well as for the, the pastor teacher. And I'm a well, member of a church. I'm a member. I'm not an elder. I'm not looking to be, I'm just like following my membership covenant with my family I give, I serve, I help, I, you know, I help the pastor. I did a consultancy for a year with them too, but, um, I think that, but I, but I feel like I'm a minister with a particular role that it can't just be jammed into the role of elder. Mm -hmm. We've, uh, we've talked about a, a whole lot of really good things along this, uh, this path here, this past hour. And, uh, we, we also like to just, uh, do some, some lighter stuff. So for you, Reed, you yeah. had, uh, a background in, in a whole lot of, uh, you know, athletics and so is your wife. Uh, so given the choice for you between wrestling or soccer, <laughs> which one wins? you know, this is such a complex question because I was <laughs> raised by my dad who said that soccer was for like wimpy guys and communists, like literally, except it was more inappropriate. His language was just terrible. I can't even say so hard, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so that gets in your head as a young guy and like, man, that guy didn't even get touched and he's falling on the ground crying, kick him again. Right. Um, so, so that's where I was coming from. And so I went into college hating soccer, just hate it. Right. And then our, our girls team, one, let me realize they're all beautiful, amazing and dominant. So I was like, well, well she's kind of cute. I at least want to hang around some soccer. That was my wife, right? She's my wife now. So I was like, wow, soccer is okay for girls, right? Um, <laughs> and then... Uh, and, and, and the woman's game is brutal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It's like full contact. Yeah, they're, they, you watch the girl pulling ponytails on YouTube. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, 
so 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 I get so so I convert to women's soccer. And then I, the first thing when I go to the University of Kentucky, my trainer with Athletes in Action said, hey, here's the first team you're going to minister to. And it's like the men's soccer team. I was like, what am I going to minister? I'm going to choke these dudes. What am I going to do with these dudes? So the Lord put me in that context where this is, this is just one of the blessings of our ministry career. My wife and I serve these men. We saw half the team come to Christ in a semester. I'm not kidding. Half the dudes on the team. So every Monday night they're in my house. My wife, they want to hear about me and him for my wife. And she's making food for them. And we kind of teach them the Bible. It was just fantastic. So I was like, all right, I'll go to their games. It's all right. I like them. They're not wimpy communist guys. Um, so then we get start going to Europe. And we were in the Czech Republic in 2000, and the Euro 2000 championships are going on. And they had this big old school pixels that are like that big, jumbotron, you know, old technology. But everyone's drinking beer because they're Czechs, and everyone's watching soccer. And it was the absolute most fun sports environment I'd ever been in. So my conversion got complete in New Jersey. Obviously, my kids all play. My wife's a coach. She coaches for Team Virginia. She coaches for Team New Jersey. She's she's very good. Uh, high demand because she's a female as well. And uh, man, I tell you what, my buddy, uh, one of our who's one of our elders, he lives in London now. Jake as well. Uh, he converted me to watching English Premier League soccer, and even made me join his team. Which I don't know if it was a good decision. It's like joining the New York Yankees when they're not good anymore. Um, <laughs> So I became a Manchester United supporter. Oh, there you go. And uh, and now I I don't even watch college football. I watch so much soccer. Um, so wrestling or soccer. <laughs> My son plays both. He's soccer dominant. In other words, he does wrestling because he likes it and it keeps him in shape in the winter and makes him have a tough middle age against soccer people. But he's a soccer guy. He's training soccer all the time now. Now he's not getting our ten by ten mat out right. I'm not doing leg locks right now. Um, so it's a hard thing. Those are my fandoms are amateur wrestling, which nobody knows about and soccer, which outside of America, everybody knows about. And so I'm, I'm going to have to call this horse race a draw. Um, oh, I, was, um, I, was gonna, I was so curious about this, that if you had to say one doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh gosh. This is like cutting you in half. And, and I, oh. I, as surprising as it is, I think you choose soccer mostly because you're kids. Yeah, I I probably would have to because my <laughs> wife and kids. And to be no, honest, you don't I, want it to come out of your own mouth. I want TV. I want NBC Sports back so I can watch soccer. Man, I'm like <laughs> dying without it. Here's the thing, um, I relate best to wrestling world people because I just it's like your native you know, native folks, um, soccer people sometimes like you can't say anything to the coach, this kind of nonsense. The so soccer <laughs> culture, I would not choose. Um, like my wife says, well, I was like, say something to the coach. She goes, no, you can't say anything to the coach. And in wrestling gyms, like everyone's screaming at everyone all at the same time. <laughs> And so I had to learn in soccer games. I put headphones on and audiobooks when I watch soccer because I'm loud, man. I can speak loud and I like yelling at referees. Oh, yeah. Can't do that, right, Steve? It's soccer. Wait, will, you ever call, will you ever call a referee, sir? Oh, golly. <laughs> sir. Call him, a son, call him a son of. Uh, can, I, can I say some bitch on this podcast? <laughs> Well, you did. You did. Oh, the, difference, the difference in wrestling, like in soccer, you're like taught, you know, embellish a little bit. Yeah. In wrestling, like this is one of the weirdest things to watch when your kid starts wrestling. He takes the other kid down, the other kid starts crying, 
And his natural instinct is to get off the kid. And all the coaches are like, get back on him. That's blood in the water, man. <laughs> so, like, let the ref stop it. Yeah. Even if yeah. he's crying or broken. Oh, in wrestling, if you're hurt, I've actually popped knee ligaments, not all the way torn, but popped them loud in matches. And you don't want the other guy to know. Because, like, if he knows, it's like shark blood in the water. He's going to kill you. Physically, and you can't protect yourself. So this all falling down and acting hurt in, in, in football, world football, I, I, I just still want to kick those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's why I started, uh, to your other point, Reed, it's why I started <laughs> taking photos of soccer matches, which I started using to serve parents. But when I'm behind a camera, I won't yell at the referee. Yeah, yeah. I'm not tempted to, like, you know, yeah. yell something at the coach or, you know, so, like, I keep myself out of trouble, and I get to serve the parents at the same time. And you don't get involved in the politics, where like yeah. in Jersey, every spring, every you know, all these kids are going to move clubs. Oh, They're getting poached by clubs. They they don't do it, but they all do it. And like, I don't want to hear the negativity because so, it makes me negative. Like, are yelling at our coach? So I usually stand. You know, if my kid's a striker, my oldest was a striker. I stand where the offensive side is by yep. myself with headphones in, yep. so I don't get in trouble, man. <laughs> That, that's hard because you want to be, you know, a missionary and be around the, the yeah, people. Yeah, so I had two guys that I could hang with because uh, we, we had an oh. understanding. There, there, there were truly, uh, with our club, FC Copa, they were playing at the Rutgers fields on the turf there. We had a fist fight break out between parents, man. It was, it was wild. It was crazy. Like, yeah. yeah, no joke. I can't say nothing to the ref. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Reed, thanks, man. Thanks for spending uh, some time with us here on a Friday. Hey, thank you guys. Um, you guys have been genuinely friends to me as a person, as a Christian man for years and years. And I, I've greatly appreciated that. And even all that you do through a, a messy networking kind of structure to continue to care about church planning in New Jersey, and the Northeast is a great value to me as, as a person. And um, my heart's not left the Northeast. If I get any opportunities ever, it's always yes to go there. And the other thing is I, I, I don't require fees to do things. Uh, we, we're trying our best to keep that model alive, too, so we can serve and offer the gospel uh, and help to others without being a burden. Well, man, you're a blessing to us, Reed. You know, your, your leadership and uh, just the, your, your ability to reach people who, who don't know Jesus, you know, one of the things I was talking to Scott about is he's like, man, Jacob's Wells done so well evangelistically, but we sat down one day and felt like, Hey, did we reach all these people to faith? And they're like, we got to step our game up. And so that was a big challenge for them when, when uh, you took your next step, but also your leadership and just organization, the way you serve pastors is a blessing. Uh, so thanks, man. Hey, one of the uh, coolest things Reed is just when you reflect back, uh, you know, uh, as we look back, We've had the privilege of being involved in a couple church plants, you know, hands-on, uh, you know, seeing churches planted. And without your investment in the network here and in bringing people together, I don't know that those would have ever happened. And, you know, so really, really thankful for you and, and, and for the what you've done here. And for all of Team Emergence, um, I know they probably know this, but you know, Emergence invested in us relationally and financially. Like when we bought our little old uh, daycare center, your guys' gift was a, a wonderful kickstart to making that place uh, into a place where we could welcome people from, from our community. So we're thankful for you and your generosity over the years. And uh, yeah, next time I'm up, can't wait to see if, if, if you ever have a hole in your pulpit rotation before you get back, I got cameras and stuff. So let me know. <laughs>
Thanks, man. Well, that'd be awesome. Thanks, man. We'll have a great one. See you soon. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Well, that was fun, and thanks so much to Ryan and Steve for having me on there with them, brothers from a different mother's up north. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And if we could ever be of service to you with Power of Change or what we do here through the Gospel Underground, we would be happy to serve. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change in the Bonhoeffer House. Send your feedback, comments, questions, anything you want to info at gospelunderground.org. We hope to see you out. They are in those borderlands between the church and culture. Appreciate you, friends. Peace.